When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 181 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing practical ways and I mean real practical ways to organize with kids. Now, I have two daughters, and I know how hard and how frustrating it can be to try and keep an organized home with two little tornadoes who are constantly spinning around, making messes out of all the areas that I just tidied and just organized. So today I'm speaking with Elise Hay. Elise is a professional home organizer and a mother who's here to give us the details as to how she maintains organized spaces with kids. Elise, I am so excited to talk to you today. How are you? I am so great. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I am really excited to be able to share all of my tips with all your listeners. Well, I personally am so excited to get all your tips. But before we get into organizing with kids, including them in the organizing process, all that good stuff, introduce yourself to my listeners. Who are you and what on earth do you do? Sure. So I am Elise Hay. I am a professional home organizer. But I think more importantly, I am here to share all of the tips about living a simplified life, being able to focus on the people in our home that matter and not being distracted by the unnecessary clutter is what I'm all about. I'm also a mom of two. I have two daughters. They are eight and four. So I'm living the mom life right alongside all of you. I get it. I understand what it's like to live in a home where there's chaos and lots of conflicting schedules and lots of stuff. And I'm here to share all of the tips to get your kids on board with the organizing process, but so importantly, to be able to give you the opportunity to live in a simplified, clutter-free home. I love that you're a parent. I love that your children are about the same ages as my children. And so I just have to ask you, as a professional organizer who's also a mom, do you think it's possible to have an organized home with young children? Is that even reality? <laughs> Could it even be reality? <laughs> It's a great question. And I think that it's 
definitely one that is not going to come overnight. As hard as that might sound, snapping your fingers and getting an organized home is something that takes a lot of effort and a lot of teamwork on part of everyone and your family. So if it's important to you, I am so excited to be able to help you on this podcast, give you all the tips if you're listening to how to get there. And if you're not sure how to get there, and if you question your abilities to stay organized for the long term, I hear you. And that is a totally normal feeling because starting an organizing process can be really daunting. So my number one tip would be to pause and take a look around the room that you're in. Start small and set yourself up with goals. Create yourself a plan and a process. Don't assume that it's going to come overnight because it's it's not. It's not something that we are naturally always born with, those skills to get organized. There are skills that we can learn over time. And as a parent, there is no greater gift than to be able to create an organized home with your family, to be able to learn those skills alongside your children so that you can have an organized home, but more importantly, set your children up for success so that when they are grown and they have homes of their own, it's something that comes more naturally to them. Hmm. I love how you mentioned that it takes work to maintain an organized home. It really does. It takes daily effort, at least it does in my own house. And There are days when I just have a little voice in the back of my head (laughs) that says, why even bother? Like, why maintain? Why always run myself ragged trying to maintain an organized home? And I know why I need to keep an organized home. I feel significantly less anxiety when my home is decluttered and tidy and organized. In the long run, having that organized home does improve the quality of not only my mood and my my family's mood, but also the family function is more streamlined when the space, the home is organized. But that said, it does take a lot of work and it really is easy to get burned out. Now, I know you came to our conversation today with a lot of strategies for including the kids in the process. So it's not always the mom or it's not always the dad picking up after everybody. But before we get there, I'd really love to talk to you about the actual like organizing burnout that I feel is so common when we do say to ourselves, well, why bother? Let's just throw in the towel. Let's go read a book instead. So let's start there. In your capacity as a professional organizer, how do you help your clients who experience that day in and day out burnout as it relates to maintaining a tidy home? Great question. And I think it's a fabulous place to start the conversation because we need to remember that starting small is the best way to feel accomplished. So if you are feeling like motivated and ready to take some steps, but aren't sure where to start, my suggestion is to start in a place that is going to give you the greatest feeling of success. But balancing that 
with the space that's also not overwhelming. So let's say you're standing in your kitchen and you're saying, oh my gosh, this space is, this room is just overwhelming. There is no order. There is no structure. I have stuff everywhere. I buy duplicates of the same thing because I can't see what I have, right? Like how many jars of peanut butter might you have in your pantry? Cause you don't know where the one is, right? So I would say to you, start small. Pick a like really dedicated space in your kitchen, using kitchen as an example, to focus on, to complete, to like feel so accomplished. So let's say your spices. Let's just focus on your spices or let's just focus on your oils and vinegars, let's say. Like just pick a small area, feel good about accomplishing a specific small area and and stop. Like, don't move on. Don't say, oh my gosh, I organized my spice drawer. Tomorrow I'm going to do almond oils. And then the next day I'm going to do all the kid stacks. Just stop and like give yourself time to like relish in that accomplishment. Like take a picture of it, of your organized spice drawer and send it to all your friends and send it to your sister and like show it off and just like say to yourself, I did this and I'm done for now. And I'm just going to pause and let myself feel how good that feels to have that one small space in my home organized. You've got it. You're able to accomplish one small thing when you feel ready to move on without feeling overwhelmed and maybe feeling like you have to do it because you did something else, then then move on. Um, but give yourself time to acknowledge that you accomplished something really big, even if it was a really small space in your home. Uh, and that can be in any space in your home. That could be like one section of the playroom. Don't feel like I have to organize the playroom this weekend. Pick one, pick one, pick one category, pick the markers, pick the crayons and, and kind of whittle that down hmm. and move on from there. Where do you suggest people start? And I, I know you say start small, but where? And I'm asking that because uh, my new, <laughs> I, I guess I shouldn't say my new thing, but something I'm really trying to focus on in 2021 is work smarter, not harder. So if I were to go into my home and pick a place, I would want to pick a place that's not too overwhelming, isn't going to take too long, but is going to have a big impact. So where where is that space for most people in their homes? For most people, it's the kitchen because let's be honest, it's probably the room as when, especially now where we're home, especially for those that have kids at home and we're working from home these days, we're spending a lot of times in our kitchen. But I would also say that pick a space that's for you, that you feel as a mom, as a like as as a parent, that that is going to give you the greatest pleasure. So maybe that's your bathroom makeup section that like every morning or your face creams that like you go into your morning and you start your day with uh, an organized bathroom. Like if that's going to make you feel really good, go for it. Maybe it's your coffee station. If it's going to be different for every person, but make it personal, make it something that you feel really, really good about. The other tip that I would add to that in a way that is going to limit that overwhelming feeling is set a timer. I think that it is um, 
becoming so common these days to see very beautifully organized spaces, whether it's all of the shows on Netflix or people spending a lot of time just kind of scrolling and looking for inspiration on Instagram and Pinterest. And it's that like, oh my gosh, I've got to do it all and I've got to do it now. And I think we owe it to ourselves to stop that feeling of that pressure, that pressure that we're all feeling from looking at what other people are doing and give yourself a cutoff point. Set yourself a timer for the amount of time that you have, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever you feel is that right amount for you. Set yourself a timer and stop, but make sure that you build in at the end of that time before just kind of plan, build in 15 minutes at the end to kind of clean up what you were working on. So sometimes when we organize, it gets messier and it get, looks worse before before it, fin- before it finally gets tidy and perfect. So make sure you build in time to kind of wrap things up, throw away the trash, wipe down the counters um, so that when your time is done, you walk away feeling good and not overwhelmed. I love that tip. I have said on the podcast before that I am a zero to Oprah type of person. Either I'm doing something 100% and I'm not going to stop until the task is done, or I'm not going to do it at all. I'm very black or white. And I know a lot of people listening are like me in that regard. But that said, that personality, that zero to Oprah mindset when it comes to anything, but in this, the context of this conversation, when it comes to organizing, that absolutely leads to burnout. So I can see a timer working really well in my life as a way to keep my zero to Oprah-ness in check. So thank you so much for that. You mentioned also that a drop basket can be really helpful when it comes to organization and burnout. How on earth can a drop basket help? This is my favorite part of my home. I really do think so because I have a drop basket for each of my kids. It has their name on it. I made them these really cute labels and they each have a basket. Their responsibility at the end of the day is to put everything in the basket away in their rooms. And the idea is that we're not constantly spending all of our time picking things up and putting them where they belong. We pick it up we put it in their basket and at a dedicated time of the day, we put it away. And it helps us to like not have that pressure of constantly cleaning up. So what I would recommend based on the layout of your home and based on where you spend a lot of your time, the bottom of the stairs, the top of the stairs, based on what works for you, have a space that things go into so that you're not feeling that pressure to like constantly picking things up and putting them away. I promise you it will save you time, but it will also give you that physical reminder that this is a temporary space for these things. And at the end of the day, they'll go away. I have a similar system at the kind of the entryway to my home. So when things are coming in and things are going out, they're not just like scattered all over my banister, but that there's a dedicated spot for them as like a temporary holding zone. And it helps it helps so much with like the little kid stuff, like the random beads that need to get put back into the craft bin and the necklaces that go with all the beads, right? Like all of the strings, there's just things that get scattered. The little Lego piece that I find underneath the couch. Am I going to stop the middle of everything to put away the little Lego piece? No, I'm not going to, because that is going to take time away from what I'm doing right now. But if I have a place to put it in temporarily, the end of the day, I'll go around my rounds and do things by kind of by category so that I'm 
maximizing my time. You mentioned earlier working smarter. Um, I think that that is this is a great way that we can just work smarter and not be wasting time doing things that just aren't necessary. I love the idea of drop baskets for the kids because it really includes them in the daily process of caring for everybody's shared home, right? I totally have felt just about five minutes ago, actually, before <laughs> hopping on this call, the the pull of putting the Legos away, putting the hair ties away that I found under the table, et cetera, et cetera. And if we are constantly putting the stuff away all by ourselves all day long, that to me just sounds like a recipe for burnout. I know that you are a big advocate for engaging kids in the organizing process. And that's something I really want to talk to you about today because I am terrible at that. I feel like I missed the boat with my older kid. I need help now telling, oh, wait, I've been doing it for seven years, but now you're seven and a half and I'm going <laughs> to need your help. I'm not sure like how that's going to work. So I'm really looking forward to gleaning your wisdom after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast is supported by Cleaner Cloths. Europeans adore Swedish dishcloths, and here's why. They are the incredibly versatile alternative to sponges, rags, paper towels, and microfiber cloths. And Swedish dishcloths from Cleaner Cloths, whereas microfiber is plastic, sponges are disposable, and rags harbor bacteria, Cleaner Cloths are actually made in Sweden from the highest quality cellulose and cotton. I love cleaner cloths because they're completely utilitarian. They're workhorses made to be used up to 100 times before tossing in my backyard compost bin. The best part? Just one cleaner cloth replaces 200 rolls of paper towels. Cleaner cloths are an essential item in every sustainable minimalist home, and at just $1.47 per cloth, it's a no-brainer. Head over to cleanercloths.com to experience what Europeans have been raving about. That's cleanercloths.com, and try the best Swedish dishcloths today. And we're back. We are talking with Elise all about how to engage kids in the process of organizing our homes and keeping them organized. When it comes to getting kids on board with organizing, where do you even start? That's a great question. It absolutely depends on their age and the level of independence that they are able to assert. So we're it's, you had mentioned your seven and a half year old, right? So I have an eight year old as well. So our kids are on similar kind of levels of independence and responsibility for that like elementary school age. It is an important lesson for them to own up to the gratitude that they should be having for all of the belongings in their life. And I think it's a lesson that is really hard to teach but it's a lesson that can much more easily be modeled on our part. So if we as adults take on that feeling of accountability, if we take on that feeling of gratitude that we have a lot in our lives, we have that 
we have that opportunity to have homes that are filled with important and special belongings, we owe it to those belongings. I know it sounds silly, but we owe it to those belongings to treat them with respect. And if we model that behavior for our children, it goes a long way in them learning how to be respectful of their belongings. And let's just be honest, picking up our picking up after our things is a way to respect our belongings, right? Then they won't get broken if they're not on the floor and no one will step on them. Um, it's respecting our home that we treat it with a way that shows dignity to the, the homes that we live in. Um, so I, I would say that, yes, it is definitely a hard thing to just teach, but I think it's more importantly, an important thing to be able to role model and to share as an example for our children. When it comes to the younger kids, um, kind of the preschool toddler age, I think that it can be much more easily turned into more of like a game and a, a lesson in a more teachable moment. Um, I have a four-year-old who has a hard time picking up after her things. She likes to see everything. So she likes to have things out so she knows where they are. She likes to stop in the middle of a project and then come back to it maybe a day later, maybe a week later. So for her, that cleanup process is definitely more challenging than it is for my older daughter. So to kind of make you feel better, Stephanie, it's not necessarily about their age, but it's so much more about who they are as a child. Um, so the age, I think, thing can definitely be addressed in like a more age-appropriate way. For the little kids, for the preschoolers, for the toddlers, a lot of this is adapting the language that you use when you work with a kid to take care of their belongings and to clean up. Um, so I found that the phrase, put it away, like put your toys away, for a little kid can have that that level of permanence can be very daunting and overwhelming. Like put it away. It's going away. I don't want it to go away. It's still mine. So there are some like very small language tweaks that I like to use to help kids understand that things are going to their home. So for a small toddler, it might be, let's go put the dolls to sleep in their bed and their bed is in the cabinet, or let's put the toys back in their home where they belong. They're going to take a nap. And when we're done, when they're done with their nap, when we're done with our nap, we can take them out again. So it, again, so it's, it's adjusting the language that you use um, in a way that fits your child. But in in a way that is not making it sound so permanent that things are going away for forever. There is a time to be able to play and then there's a time to not play. Um, and part of that comes with the structure of an organized home um, and the flow of what that means to have time to play and time not to play. Hmm. Yeah. I like what you said there about adjusting your language for the age of child that you're <laughs> trying to teach about cleaning up and organizing. I know with my four-year-old, when I say, put your toys away, like she doesn't even necessarily know where some toys go. And so that means that she just sticks them on a shelf <laughs> or sticks them on top of the shelf or sticks them under the shelf where she thinks I can't see them. She thinks that putting stuff away is just getting him off the middle of the floor. And so there's definitely some language there that I need to tweak when <laughs> I'm asking her to clean some language and perhaps some modeling as well. Now, you also are a big advocate for a not done space. And I think I know what you're going to say about this. And 
I think it's going to change my life. So tell me first, what on earth is the not done space? Yeah, so I I think this definitely speaks to the Lego building. This speaks to the craft creating. My four-year-old is obsessed with perler beads, those like little tiny balls of plastic that you put on those molds and they if you, they spill on the ground god help you because they're just going to make a mess but she's obsessed with them and it takes her a while to complete one because she's very focused so she often will depart from the table and say i'm not done i'm going to come back to it but there are some guidelines about how we keep that like not done space so for the craft table for legos i am i love using trays, like kind of like cafeteria style trays. The ones I have in my playroom are from Ikea. I think they're a dollar each, maybe a little bit more than that, but I love them because they are like a self-containment space to do work. And when, let's use perler beads as an example, or even Legos, when they're done for now, and they aren't ready to clean the whole thing up and put it in the bin and toss it in the cabinet. It's a dedicated space. This is where we're going to keep it until you're done. I can take the tray and I can put it away. I can put it off the countertop so that the table can be used for something else. And she knows when she's ready to go back to it, she can take her tray back to the table. But it's a way to contain, to like compartmentalize. This is the time for now. And this might be the time to do it again later. Um, But one thing I do always have her do, so whether they're the Legos or the Perler Bees or any other type of craft, the materials that aren't being used get put away and go back. So using Legos as an example, all of the Legos that are on the floor scattered around those ones get cleaned up. But the ones that are kind of like in process in building can be put in a dedicated spot, um, just not to have all the loose ones all around. That is such a great tip. And we don't call them perler beads in my house. We call them fuse beads. But I think it's the same thing. You have to iron these little pieces of microplastic. It's it's an environmentalist worst nightmare. But so here's my question. How many not done trays can your daughter have at once? And I'm asking that because I can see exactly what my seven-year-old will say when I say, okay, well, this is your not done space. She's going to just make 12 not done spaces as a means of procrastinating the cleaning up. So what are your best tips there for a kid like mine? Yeah, I have one little, I have one little, these Ikea trays, like I said, they're a little bit larger than a sheet of paper. I don't know what dimensions, maybe like 12 by 14 or something like that. And um, they each have one. I have their name labeled on it. It's theirs. Um, Anything else needs to get put away. So generally the Legos in our family isn't so much of a, it's not so much of a big deal for us as the crafts. So, but if it were, if there were one week where my daughter became Lego obsessed and the crafts maybe became secondary, I would shift her focus. Um, So I'm a huge proponent of child-led activities, the children kind of leading where they want to be playing, um, not forcing them into any particular activity. But I do think that it is important to set boundaries and set guidelines for them. So I, I would give them a choice. I would say, okay, well, then if you're done, if you know, if you want to move on to another activity, we've got to swap. Um, so that your whole room doesn't become, 
become overwhelmed and have done projects. And there are some things that can be put back, you know, in into their space, um, half done, and they can be taken at another time. My daughter has a lot of weaving. My older daughter has a lot of like kind of weaving projects. And if she's not done with anything, she, she'll put it back into where it goes. But it's setting the boundaries is hard. I am right there with all of you moms listening um, because it's it's a challenge to be able to kind of mold our children in the expectations that we want them to have. But um, it's a journey. It's absolutely a journey that I think that as parents, if we role mo- if kind of we model those behaviors ourselves, um, I, I I know that the kids will. The kids are watching and the kids are listening. And I don't think anyone should feel expected to come away from this podcast episode with all of the plans set in place because it is a journey just like parenting. Hmm. I have one more question I want to ask you before we close out our chat today. And that is your thoughts on children keeping toys in their bedrooms And I know for some households, they don't have a designated play spot, so the toys are in the bedrooms. But from an organizing standpoint, how does that work? Is the kids' room the kids' room? They can keep whatever they want in there and organize it if they want, organize it not if they don't want to? Or do you advocate for keeping the toys and the rocks, in my case, and the leaves, in my case, (laughs) and the shells out of the bedroom. So I am a huge proponent personally of having toys in children's bedrooms. I do think that it is important for them. If that is the kind of layout and flow that you have in your home, don't feel like you need to get rid of all of the toys in their room just because you have a playroom. However, that being said, the toys that are in my children's room are like dedicated for their rooms. And then there are toys that are dedicated for the playroom. There are plenty of times where my kids say, gosh, I want to keep this down in the playroom. We're going to swap it to something else. But the idea is that there is a a shelf in their rooms and each of the, they have their own rooms, each of their rooms for the toys that belong in there. And whatever doesn't fit in there is going to migrate to the playroom. And if it doesn't fit in the playroom, it's going out of the house and it's going to be donated. So the the concept of dedicated things go into their dedicated spaces. Everything in the, in the home has a home. Um, it might be in their room. It might be downstairs. I tend to make sure that the toys that are in their bedroom are things that they can play more comfortably independently so that when they are having kind of quiet time in their bedrooms, they are really engaged. Um, and some of the toys that are downstairs in the playroom are things that you need somebody else to play with. So it's a board game. The card games are downstairs. Um, we don't do arts and crafts in the bedroom. That's definitely only in the playroom. So there's a boundary there. Um, my older daughter has a desk because she does homework in her room. So that's different. But for the younger ones, she doesn't do crafts in her room. Um, so it's about setting the boundaries, setting the guidelines that work for your family. But I I personally do have toys in the bedroom because I think that it is important for them to be able to have their, their place um, to play. So where is the boundary then between letting them have their space and also being the owner of the home and (laughs) not wanting their space to become a disaster zone. And I asked that because when I was a kid, 
you know, my mom would say, clean up your room. And I would say, especially as I got older and cheekier, but it's my room. I should be able to keep it the way I want. So I'm just wondering, like, where is the line and how do you how do you toe that line in your own home? Labels for us is like a game changer. For my youngest daughter who doesn't read yet, the labels are all in icons and pictures so that there is a place for everything to go. And she has, she has learned, the younger one, she has learned that we have spaces for belongings. And I am the one who does set the tone in the home of this is how much space we have. You can fill the basket with the toys that fit in it. Um, but you want to dedicate this basket to the toy food? Great. We'll move the toy food from the playroom into your bedroom because you want to be able to feed your stuffed animals during your quiet time. Great. This is the basket for your food. Whatever food, toy food doesn't fit in that basket, can't stay. Um, so I, I kind of set the guidelines of how things are structured. She does, my kids do help choose what they have, kind of what goes into those those spaces. Um, but I have found that labeling helps tremendously. I think your answer there really just hits home <laughs> something that is a struggle for me and I think is a struggle for a lot of minimalist-minded parents, which is that, you know, we can declutter all we want. We can minimize all we want. We can organize and tidy all we want. But at the end of the day, if we have young children, we really do just have to lower our expectations a bit. Would you agree with that? Totally. And I'm the professional organizer, like type A. I'm obsessive over everything in my home, but I am with you as a parent, expectations, lowering them to make yourself feel less overwhelmed and more accomplished is so important. So not comparing our homes to others, not scrolling on Instagram and Pinterest and seeing all the picture perfect things and saying, oh my gosh, mine isn't looking like that. I am feeling overwhelmed. Just that alone is really stressful for so many moms and absolutely take it, like I said earlier, take it one space at a time, take it one day at a time, give yourself the credit that you deserve because parenting is hard, having a home is hard and combining all of those factors in together um, definitely takes the support of your entire family. So I will say that I have been able to come up with a system for our family that keeps our home tidy and in shape, but I don't do it alone. Two things that are very important in my mornings that I cannot, I cannot start my morning without making my bed. And I cannot start my morning without having the breakfast dishes completely cleared right away. And those are very important for me because they start my day feeling good, feeling tidy but I don't do both of them. I make the bed and my husband does the breakfast dishes because if you can't have an organized home, if you don't have the support of all of your family members, kids included, I don't make my kids beds. They make their own beds and they have learned that that is the first thing that you do when you wake up. I don't go into their room. I remind them, go make your bed sometimes if they haven't done it on their own. Um, but I won't do it for them because that's something that they need to learn to do on their own. Yeah, I love I love your answer. I am here to tell anybody listening right now who's rolling their eyes when we tell them to lower their expectations. I'm here to tell all of you that it is possible. I 
have very high expectations. Heck, I have a podcast about minimalism, but it is possible. And if you're scrolling on Instagram and your favorite minimalist influencer just posted a new space of their pristine home or their pristine playroom or pristine whatever it is, that's not reality. They probably took hours and hours of their life staging that space. That is not parenthood in real life. And if anybody's listening and they do have that pristine space, please, I need to have you on the podcast. So reach out to me. But one more thing with regard to the beds, making the beds. Uh, My daughters also have to make their beds every morning and they do a terrible job. They do so bad, but they're trying. They're doing as best as they can for their ages. And it used to be that, you know, I'd go back and fix them once they... (laughs) (laughs) went downstairs for the day. But part of lowering lowering your expectations means letting them make their beds as best as they can and leaving the beds in that state for the rest of the day. Because leaving the beds in that state gives the children the confidence that they are contributing to their household and taking care of their stuff. And so I do think all these principles are interconnected. The lowering of the standards, the empowering of the children, the including all the family members in the daily tasks of maintaining a household. So I really want to thank you for bringing all these concepts full circle. Now, Elise, I know your professional organizing business is called Organized Sanctuaries. Tell us where listeners can find you and Organized Sanctuaries online. I am on Instagram and Pinterest at Organized Sanctuaries. My website is OrganizedSanctuaries.com where I've got all of the tips. I've got a blog posting, all sorts of both minimalist, sustainability-focused, driven um, activities that you can do in your home challenges. Right now, I've got a free daily challenge that spans three weeks that every day gives you the reminder to take on one small, manageable, five-minute or less tip that you can take on in your home to keep your home so much more organized. It's all on my website, OrganizedSanctuaries.com. Elise, thank you so much for coming on the show. I so enjoyed this conversation, and I look forward to continuing to follow you online. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I so hope you enjoyed my chat with Elise Hay. I have linked to all her information in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 181. Now, a quick note that this week's sponsor, Cleaner Cloths, has generously offered to give away a bunch of Swedish dishcloths to lucky listeners. They are amazing. And if you have never jumped into the world of authentic Swedish dishcloths before, this is the time. All the details for you to get some cleaner cloths, Swedish dishcloths for free are in this week's show notes. Also at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 181. I will see you next week. Have an amazing week and take care.